Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Thank you, brothers, that led our church in prayer. We believe and are persuaded that God hears those prayers, and it's the most powerful thing we can do by far in this world, in this life. We want to have more of it in our church. Romans chapter 15, let me read to you verses 15 through 24. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have, therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand." For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. For I trust to see you in my journey, and to be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. Amen. And amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit, we have opened your scriptures and read this passage. We are thankful for it. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You are very blessed as Gentile believers even in the year 2014, that the Lord raised up a man named Saul of Tarsus originally and named him Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, a man that God prepared for the office of preaching to our ancestors. We should be very thankful for him. We should be thankful for his faithfulness to the charge that God gave him and the zeal with which he applied himself because his preaching has reached even this far. Here we are 2,000 years later. We're thousands of miles away from where Paul preached, and yet we have his epistle in front of us, preserved by the God of heaven, and we have his gospel for the Gentiles to believe and to be made part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I hope if you read Acts chapter 26 last evening, you were blessed by that testimony that Paul gave of his conversion and of his ordination and of his ministry to the King Agrippa. I hope that you understand, as I wrote in the preparatory email, that that was the third chapter of the book of Acts dedicated to Paul's conversion. Why would that be three times in one book in the Bible? Is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ three times in the book of Matthew? Paul's conversion is three times in the book of Acts for you to appreciate the importance of this man that God raised up to be our apostle and his faithfulness to his calling. And so in the verses that are before us right now, they are the apostle appealing to the great office that God gave him and the power of Jesus Christ in his life and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in mighty signs and wonders to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. In verses 15 down through 21, He is using that office to elicit and solicit 
the respectful attention of the Gentiles in Rome for the way he has just treated them in chapters 14 in the first half of this chapter, exhorting them to get over their high-mindedness and to receive their weak Jewish brethren. And so he appeals to his office. You know, once in a while, it's appropriate for a father or a husband to remind children or a wife that they have an office over those people. And to appeal to that office and to remind them that God has set an order of authority in homes, in marriages, and in the gospel. And so Paul does that all the way down through verse 21. And then in verses 22 through 24, he explains that in his use of his great office, he has been detained from visiting them. They thought, as being a church in the capital city of the Roman Empire, that surely the great apostle Paul would have got there sooner. But he was busy. And after you read his job description and what he'd accomplished in those years, how could you not but with respect and humility submit yourself to his explanation as to why he hadn't yet been to Rome? And so we look at these verses. There are three things I want to emphasize to you. These are verses that do not lend themselves to preaching as readily as verse 13. I waited to get to verse 13 with great anticipation, or as much as verse 14 from last Lord's Day. These are more historical in nature, describing the ministry of a man as he appeals to his office and invokes his rank in order to get the Romans to give him their due ear. However, there are wonderful things to think about our brother Paul. When we go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and it says that the great mystery of godliness includes the gospel being preached unto Gentiles, who did it first? Who did it best? And who did it most? Our brother Paul. When we go there and and find out that he was believed on in the world, it's nice to know that from Corinth, the apostle Paul could write this epistle to a group of believers in the capital of the Roman Empire, because he had the Lord Jesus Christ had been believed on in the world. The three things I want you to take out of this chapter the most are found in verse 16, where the apostle describes conversion of Gentiles as an offering that he, using the analogy and metaphor of a priest, was offering up to God that it would be acceptable. The Apostle Paul labored the way he did to see Gentiles converted and that he could offer them up to God a new sacrifice not seen before in the history of the world. Gentiles in mass believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was his offering to God. And he burned himself out doing it. And so I'm going to come to a conclusion at that verse. Are you willing to burn yourself out for the Lord Jesus Christ in your roles, and in your sphere of operation, like Paul did his. I want us as a church to be an offering up to God, initially by the ministry of Paul, and of all the ministers that have come from him, that is acceptable to God. Then I want to come to verse 18, and show you that the work of the ministry, and the purpose of men like Paul, is to make Gentiles obedient. And so when you come into this place, or you read something from my keyboard, and I'm pressing you, and I'm pushing you, it's because that is the work of the ministry. I am supposed to push you, press you, warn you, rebuke, correct, instruct, and teach you. And so Paul says that about his ministry, to make the Gentiles obedient. And isn't that wonderful? Are we thankful for a gospel ministry like Paul's and those that came from him that gave their lives to make us obedient to God? That's the second thing I want you to get. And the third thing is in verse 19, that through mighty signs and wonders, the Apostle Paul was special. And I want you to be reminded before we finish this sermon that an apostle had very special gifts. They were called the signs of an apostle. An apostle had every gift ever given to the church. Every gift. They could speak in tongues whenever they wanted to, and they could raise the dead when they needed to. 
They could take up serpents and they could drink poison. They could heal the sick. They could do anything by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that was instrumental in converting Gentiles off their traditional pagan religions to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason this is important is the Roman Catholic Church believes in apostolic succession that all of their bishops are equivalent to apostles and their pope is Peter's representative in the church. The reason I want to remind you is because the Mormon church believes in its quorum of 12 apostles as being equal to the apostles of the New Testament. I want to remind you that the men in this city that claim to be apostles are no apostles, not by any comparative value compared to Paul. And I'll show you a passage in Acts chapter 5 that is precious indeed about apostles. But other than that, those three main points, let's just delight ourselves today that God raised up a man named Paul to bring the gospel to us and how diligent he was in his work. And may your pastor and may you be as diligent in the work God's given to you as Paul was in his work. He could get to the end of his life and say, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Have each of you, or or, or, are you on the process of finishing your course, keeping the faith, and fighting a good fight for godliness, the truth, the kingdom of God, and the church of Jesus Christ? Lord, help us to that end. Okay, simply, and I want to be simple. I want you to understand these verses. Verse 15, Nevertheless, brethren... Nevertheless means, in spite of what I just said about you in verse 14, I have had to write to you with some degree of boldness because I needed to put you in mind of these things. Verse 14 borders on not not sinful flattery at all, but it is effective rhetoric when you are appealing to persuade people you have never met that you give them some compliments from time to time. And verse 14 is high praise from the Apostle Paul that they were full of knowledge. In verse 14, filled with all knowledge and they were full of goodness and that they were able also to admonish one another implying that they barely needed his services. So we have the word nevertheless and there's much here but I'm not going to go into it. There's nuances of intellect and reasoning from the Holy Spirit of the living God on how to persuade someone when you have to deal sort of harshly with them. When I say sort of harshly, isn't that what the words Paul uses? Boldly of some sort? Because it wasn't as bold as he could have been, and it wasn't as bold as maybe he wanted to be, and maybe it was bolder than they thought he should be. But it's all prefaced on this word, nevertheless. In spite of what I said of you in verse 14, nevertheless there was cause that I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, you might think that I have been somewhat bold in my pressing of you in chapters 14 and the first half of chapter 15 about these matters of indifference, and that I'm telling you to get off your high horses and get down and receive these weak brethren, and do not damage or destroy their consciences. We understand that it's Christian liberty that he has in the forefront because when we look at chapters 12 and 13, there is nothing there that is that harsh or that personal. And chapters 1 through 11 are purely didactic and doctrinal. It's liberty because he's just told them, you get down to your brethren. And this is a Gentile church with a lot of Gentiles, and so he's going to appeal to the fact that he's a Gentile apostle. Nevertheless... In spite of what I said to you, brethren, you know when you're talking to your wife and you have to correct her, or you're talking to your children and you have to correct them, say something endearing to them at the same time. It's right there. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort. It really wasn't that bold. Do you see how he's gently explaining what he did? It wasn't all that bold, but it may have been a little bold, and you may have thought it somewhat bold, and my purpose was to put you in mind. It was just a reminder. And that is so much better than saying, forgive my language, but you stupid idiots. Notice what he said. 
You are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge. And my only purpose in sounding a little bold was to remind you of what you already knew. Oh, this is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ conveyed by the words of the Spirit of God. And there's wisdom in it of a different sort than just hearing about the gospel. It's how we ought to persuade men. Lord, help us to this end that we would neither be harsher nor weaker than our beloved brother Paul. I was just wanting to remind you Gentiles because of the grace that is given to me of God. And what is that grace? It's not that Paul was saved. It's that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles because he goes on and says that is what he has under consideration. Brethren, I gave you high praise in verse 14, but I had to remind you, and in reminding you, I did it because of the office God has given me toward you. Verse 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. You know, we learned this in Romans chapter 11, where Paul wanted to point out the fact that he was the apostle of the Gentiles. The apostle Paul knew more about the Jewish Gentile issue than any other apostle, as he describes in Ephesians chapter 3. And Gentiles ought to listen to Paul very carefully because he understood their situation and relationship to the Jewish church. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ. That is the grace of God given to Paul. If you read Acts 9, or if you read Acts 22, or the chapter you read last night, Acts 26, you will find out that from the beginning, the Apostle Paul was chosen, or Saul of Tarsus was chosen, to minister to the Gentiles. He had that office from the beginning. That I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. This word minister would be understood by Jews and Gentiles of that era, maybe a little differently than you would, in that the priests from both religions ministered about the things of the temple or the tabernacle in pertaining to God. And so Paul is comparing himself to a priest because he's going to talk about offering up a sacrifice. But it's no sacrifice of a slain animal. It's the sacrifice of converted Gentiles. And so he says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ. I am simply serving Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. As we read in other places, a minister is an ambassador. And he beseeches men in the place of the Lord God himself, ministering the gospel of God. The priestly work that the Apostle Paul had was not killing animals or not pouring liquid libations or anything like that in sacrifice, but in preaching the gospel. He served the gospel of God. He didn't serve showbread. He didn't serve oil. He served the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. This is the first point I want you to grab and remember and think about and apply to yourselves. Paul's ministry to go out into the world and preach to people that had never been under God's blessing and favor for the truth of God. Psalm 147 verses 19 and 20 tells us that they had never had the statutes and the ordinances of God. They were without them. They had been kept from them for 4,000 years. But here's the Apostle Paul going and conveying the truth of God, the gospel of Christ, to these Gentiles. And by them hearing it, and by them believing it, all by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, it wasn't by the power of Paul, he admits that very plainly right here, it's by the sanctification of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost sanctifies us by regenerating us before we hear the gospel, by giving us a new nature created in righteousness and true holiness. He sanctifies us when we hear the gospel by opening our hearts and minds, the spirit of illumination, to to see things more clearly. And after we're converted, after we've believed the gospel, the Holy Spirit is still sanctifying us, as Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, that we would be filled with all the knowledge of Christ until we're filled with the fullness of God. The work of the Holy Spirit in conversion is absolutely essential and powerful and great. And if today, 
you love the Lord Jesus Christ and you appreciate Paul's ministry and these words of Scripture, it is by the sanctifying grace of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus Christ has made you acceptable to God. But this offering up of the Gentiles is a wonderful thing if we can be part of an offering made to God. That is just a wonderful thing. If you love God, you do not mind being the offering and someone else being the priest. But I've already read to you today, not only is someone else the priest offering you up to God, Jesus Christ being the great high priest, and the Apostle Paul is one of his ambassadors that offered us up to God, but we get to offer up sacrifices acceptable to God ourselves. Because 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 taught us that earlier. And so I want you to look at this verse 16, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable. This acceptance before God was first of all by the sanctifying grace of the Holy Spirit. If God had not arrested us, if God had not grabbed our spirits and our souls and had regenerated us by His power so that we were born again, we'd be running wildly in this world. It's by God's grace. And if He had not opened ears and opened eyes and opened hearts and minds to hear, to see, to understand, and to love the gospel, we would be without it, and He would be sending a strong delusion to believe a lie, based on Second Thessalonians chapter 2. And if He had not opened our hearts further and shed abroad the love of God in our hearts, we would not love Him the way we do today. Right. It is all of grace, but that grace included the Apostle Paul's life and his zeal by word and deed, contributed as well to the conversion of the Romans. And so Paul and the ministers from him and every minister after him, truly called by Jesus Christ, labors diligently that you can be offered up as converted Gentiles as an acceptable sacrifice to God, sanctified by the Holy Ghost. It's only the Holy Ghost that can make you holy, which is what the word sanctified means. The word sanctified is not complicated. It just means to make something holy and set apart for God's use. And look at where we're at today. We're in an assembly worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ, who was a minister of the circumcision, and worshiping the God that was the God of Abraham and Moses. What happened to us? We've been sanctified by the Holy Ghost And Paul and his successors came along and were faithful to their calling and have offered us up as a sacrifice. And I, for one, want to be a sacrifice that pleases God. And that's why I want us Gentiles in this church today, because we may not get next Lord's Day, I want us to shake the foundations of heaven with our praise and thanksgiving, the glory and honor that we give to God and His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, even for the ministry of Paul. And thus, verse 16, might be acceptable. The two things that make it acceptable are God's grace in the Holy Ghost's power and the work of the ministry. If a minister is not faithful, what happens? 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, you lose your salvation. Doesn't mean you go to hell. You lose your practical salvation. Here's the verse. You might want to look at it. It's, It's a good reminder for us to pray for the faithfulness of ministers. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16. Take heed unto thyself. This is Paul to Timothy. Every second generation and following minister should listen to this verse and humble themselves before it. 1 Timothy 4.16 Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, Thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Notice, a minister has to take care of two things. I've preached this many times to you, but I'm hoping to help you with Romans chapter 15. Two things. Take heed unto thyself. You take heed to your personal life, Timothy. You guard your heart. If there's anyone in a church that needs to be keeping their heart with all diligence, it's God's minister. Keeping his life. Take heed unto thyself. Singular. Timothy taking care of Timothy so that Timothy is living a holy and sanctified life. And unto the doctrine. 
Make sure that you care about every point of doctrine, that you do not vary to the left, to the right. You don't add to or take from the words of God. You stick with sound doctrine that I gave you. Continue in them. Them is a plural pronoun referring to both things. Timothy, constantly, always, persevere in these two things. Guarding yourself, guarding the doctrine. For in doing this, if you'll do both things, you'll save yourself and them that hear you. This is the word salvation in a sense that 99% of Christians don't even comprehend. Don't even use, don't even explain, don't even understand. But thanks be to God, we understand it. This is practical salvation. This is conversion. If a minister is carnally minded, or if a minister is lazy about doctrine, the church is going to go astray carnally in their lives. The church is going to go astray in doctrine to false doctrine, or both. Back to Romans chapter 15. Thanks be to God for the Apostle Paul. Did he take heed to himself? I keep under my body, lest when I myself have preached to others, I should be a castaway. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Yet he was faithful. What an example. You know, and he told all ministers to follow him, and he told all Christians to follow him. And so we have verse 16. It's the combination. Notice, someone that God has saved through the ministry and and sacrifice of Jesus Christ, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, can be lost in 1 Timothy 4.16. Not lost from heaven to hell, not their names being lost from the book of life, but them being lost from fellowship with God and being a sacrifice and offering acceptable to God. And that's important to me. And I hope it's important to you. And out of this historical narrative about Paul's life, I hope verse 16 has meaning for you. But we move on. I have, therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. In this 17th verse is adding to what he has said in verses 15 and 16 that God in His grace made Paul special for a special office, and that is the apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul is saying, I have a basis to glory. Did Paul ever abuse that privilege? Never. Was Paul as humble as you could get? Definitely. Did he have to invoke rank sometimes? Yes. Who made that happen? unbelieving and difficult, obnoxious church members, especially at the church at Corinth. I have, therefore, the therefore is drawing a conclusion from the fact that Paul was set up as much much like a priest to offer up the sacrifice of the Gentiles as a body to God because he was the main one preaching to them. And so he says, I have some basis to do some glorying. It's all in Christ Jesus, and it's only in things that pertain to God. Are you able to understand that 17th verse? I do some glorying, but it's only through Jesus Christ, because without Jesus Christ, I would still be Saul of Tarsus, hailing men and women and putting them in prison. Any good thing that comes out of me is by the work of Jesus Christ. And the only things I would ever glory in are things pertaining to God. Not to this world. Not to my personal abilities. Not to my personal education, intellect, pedigree, or anything else. But in Christ Jesus. And so we understand verse 17. Verse 18. For I... Verse 18 is the counterpart to verse 17. If I have some things to glory in in verse 17, they're only through Jesus Christ and they're only in things pertaining to God. Now verse 18 is going to be the opposite. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me. I don't want you to hear anything about what I did playing high school football. I don't want you to hear anything about my scores on the SAT. I don't want you to hear anything about my earned degrees in seminary and my honorary degrees. I don't want you to hear any of that stuff about me. Isn't it neat how he's writing this? See, he he had to invoke rank, but look at his humility and look at his care that it's only by the grace of God that he was what he was. And he said that very plainly in 1 Corinthians 15.10. 
Look at 1 Corinthians 15.10 because I want to exalt our brother's humility and also our brother's honesty and also our brother's zealousness. 1 Corinthians 15.10 But by the grace of God I am what I am. That's the way we all ought to think about our lives. Oh, and I hope that I can help you do that in the second assembly today. But by the grace of God I am what I am. And His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Can God give grace to a man? Can God offer grace to a man? Can God give opportunities and potential to a Christian that that Christian doesn't fulfill? Yes. And squander the grace of God. Did the Apostle Paul do that? No. Do I want anyone in this church to come short of the calling of God's grace in your life? Not one. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. He was honest enough to know that he outworked the other apostles. He was zealous enough that he did outwork the other apostles, but he was humble enough to admit it was just the grace of God. There was no other apostle that had spent the first part of their career killing Christians. He was highly motivated. You know, Peter had a wife. Paul had no wife. Paul wasn't hindered by anything. He just went as fast as the Lord would take him wherever the Lord showed him to go. And he was zealous. And I, do you know why we're here today? Does, any, does anybody appreciate or understand where I'm headed in trying to deal with these historical verses? The Apostle Paul turned the world upside down so that you could have today. Are you going to be an offering acceptable to God, initially done in labor by word and deed by the Apostle Paul? Are you going to be acceptable to God by fulfilling the grace that he brought to you in the gospel? For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me. I only want to talk about things Christ has done through me. I don't want to talk about anything else. Were there other false teachers in this era that wanted to talk about how great they were in this field and that field? Oh, yes. All you have to do is read 2 Corinthians 10 and 11 and, you, and 12, and you can find out about them. Paul had competitors, and it's ridiculous to think of our brother even having a competitor. They weren't competitors, but they pretended to be competitors. He called them apostles of Satan. In 2 Corinthians 11, I'll not dare to speak of any of those things. That's not me at all. I'm not out to tell you about me. I want to tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ and what God has done through me. And the purpose is not for me to get a name, but for the Gentiles to get a name. Because notice what he says next, to make the Gentiles obedient. And that's the second thing I want to give you from this explanation by Paul of his ministry and why he should have the right to exhort and to remind the Romans as in the way that he did. Because Paul will, would speak and he, Paul would glory in the things which pertain to God that Jesus Christ had called him to do in making the Gentiles obedient. And the word and deed there are Paul's words and Paul's deeds because he goes on the next verse to explain through mighty signs and wonders. Those weren't the Romans' words and deeds. They were Paul's words and deeds to make the Romans obedient. And are we going to obey today? Are we going to come into this house and worship the Lord and have the Word of God open to us and read these words? You are reading the words written by Tertius from the mouth of Paul 1955 years ago for the benefit of Gentiles. Are they going to affect you today? God raised up a special man. Jesus Christ appeared to him personally on the road to Damascus. And there was a light brighter than the noonday sun. And Paul fell on his face. And the Lord Jesus Christ addressed him personally. And the Lord Jesus Christ took that man, Saul of Tarsus, into Arabia for three years and taught him face to face. He taught him personally. He did not get his gospel from men. He didn't get any certifications from men. He got it from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he writes in his epistles, For I received of the Lord Jesus 
When he says that, he didn't get it along with Peter, James, and John because there was only one Paul. There were lots of the other kind. There was only one Paul. And I'm not putting Peter and James down any farther than the Bible puts them down. For us Gentiles, there's one apostle. It's the Apostle Paul. What effect is he going to have in your life today? I'm scared for us all that we would ever let the grace of God in our lives come to us in vain, but that we would humble ourselves before the God of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, the sanctifying grace of the Holy Spirit, and this man that wrote us this epistle. You say, well, he's just a man. No, he wasn't just a man. He was an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ to us. The accumulated, the accumulated intelligence of your ancestors had resulted in running around naked in certain countries, painting yourself various colors, and worshiping every conceivable replacement for the living God. And along comes Paul, raising the dead, healing the sick, taking up serpents. Don't you love reading on the island of Melita when that venomous viper came out of the fire and latched onto his hand. And all those sitting around the fire, knowing that it was a prison, prisoner ship that had been, that had crashed on their island, assumed fatalistically, ah, there's fate. Fate is taking this murderer away from us because they knew he was a prisoner. But the apostle Paul had that venomous fatal viper hanging on his hand and he shook it off in the fire. And he kept on eating and talking to them. And then they all thought that maybe he was a god. Then they thought of who else is sick on this island. And there went the Apostle Paul, mighty son. Why is it in the Bible? Are they uh, children's stories? Is Paul writing to children right now? Or is he trying to get a hold of some men in the capital city of the Roman Empire? Are they going to be faithful to God? My brethren, Paul is saying to them, I am the apostle to the Gentiles. God in His grace gave me this office through Jesus Christ. My work is sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And I pray you to hear my simple reminder on how you ought to treat the Jews in matters of Christian liberty. I'm trying to give you the sense of these words. Who wants to obey today because of God's grace, Jesus Christ's work, and the Holy Spirit's sanctification, and Paul's undying efforts. I'm ready. Word and deed. When he opened his mouth, out came the gospel. Do you know what Paul could say in Galatians chapter 1? If you hear angels preach anything different than I've preached unto you, this is in humility, let him be accursed. If any other man... Wow. He didn't like the ministerial association, did he? If any other man preach any other gospel unto you than that which I have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Do you know that we have had ancestors in the faith called Paulicans? Do you know that their doctrine has been called Pauline? Do you know that we've been accused of putting too much emphasis on Paul? When I first took the pastorship of this church, In 1984, there was a member of this church that thought that anything in the red writing was superior to anything written by Paul. He wasn't a member of this church very long, but he was a member of this church. When Paul speaks, who's he speaking for? The Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I want to obey whatever Paul has to say because the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 said, Be ye followers of me, as I am a follower of Christ. Amen. He came to us dogs. He came to us dogs, and he wasn't going to rest. And he paid his own way in a number of places. And he fully preached the gospel. Well, we need to go on to find that. The word and deed are Paul's preaching and Paul's life and the mighty acts of this blessed apostle. Verse 19, through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. It was no power in Paul. It was the power of the Spirit of God through mighty signs and wonders. 
The apostles were given great gifts. Do you, do you remember? In Mark 16, when Jesus commissioned them by saying, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. All the world. Getting outside the confines of the small Jewish nation. And these signs shall follow them that believe. This is what you're going to be able to do. And this is what you're going to be able to give to men to do. And those first generation hearers, for 40 years, the apostles could lay hands on them and they would receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Inferior preachers, like Philip the Evangelist, in Acts chapter 8, Philip was a deacon and an evangelist. But remember, the offices of the New Testament church were ranked. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Philip could perform some miracles. Philip was an evangelist. But when he went to the city of Samaria and they believed the gospel that Philip preached and he baptized them, they didn't get the gift of the Holy Ghost because guess what? Had to, who had to come from the city of Jerusalem in order to show their exalted office? Peter and John. Right. And when they came, they prayed for them, laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And that's when Simon the sorcerer saw the power that the apostles had that Philip didn't have that it tempted Simon to want to buy their gift. And Peter had some choice words for him. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 8, the middle portion of the chapter. Oh, brethren, there are so many verses I could turn you to, but I'm not going to do it. You should take some time and just look up the cross-references for the power of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. These were fishermen when we think of Peter, James, and John and Andrew. But they were Saul of Tarsus when we think of Paul. Look at Acts chapter 5. This is one of my favorite passages. You know you can go to Mark 16 and it's going to list some of their gifts. And it's going to say, So they went everywhere and preached. And God confirming His word with signs following. What is given in the Great Commission is fulfilled in the very passage where the Great Commission is found. Mark 16, verses 15 through 20. Acts chapter 5. Do you know what happened in verse 11? If I say two names, will you remember? Ananias and Sapphira. What did they do? They lied to an apostle. Were their children lying to parents and spouses lying to spouses from time to time in the church at Jerusalem? Was anyone falling dead? No. But Ananias and Sapphira did because they lied to the Holy Ghost that was in the apostles like in no other. And that's the first 11 verses. Now watch. Verse 12. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. This is a large area of the temple in Jerusalem. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. The rest are the rest of the believers, especially other ministers and preachers, but they did not dare join with the apostles because the apostles were a special category and a special office of the church. They didn't dare join themselves to them, but the people magnified them. They were just lifted up for the office that God had given them. These were fishermen. How could a fisherman get any honor in the temple in Jerusalem when there were Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, and priests there? By the mighty signs and wonders, and by two people falling dead in the church of Jerusalem for lying to them about a monetary gift. Verse 14, I love verse 13, And of the rest durst no man join himself to them. Outside this collection of apostles, No man dared join them, but the people magnified them. This isn't the rest of the people of Jerusalem, or they would have all been converted. This is the rest of the believers magnifying what kind of preachers they had getting this church started, and four of these were fishermen. Verse 14, And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets, and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, 
bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and some of them were healed. And they were healed, every one. You know, where is Benny Hinn when we need him? I'll hold a bright light on one side of him, and one of you can hold a bright light on the other side of him, and let's let him walk the corridors of the cancer section of GHS and see how many jump out of their beds. Healed every one of them. They want to call themselves an apostle? Put yourself to the test like an apostle. Let me bring the poison and let me bring the snakes. Not your snakes and not your poison. We already know you better by the way you preach. These are the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. We meet in a very simple and in many respects ugly facility. It's of little value in the real estate records of Greenville County. But we are in the line and in the descent of these men who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and turn the world upside down. Are you going to obey them in your life? Are you going to be as faithful as they were faithful to the calling God gave them? The Apostle Paul could mail out or they could be carried from him napkins and handkerchiefs and if it touched a sick person, they were healed. And then along come these apostles that want you sent to send in a tax-deductible gift so that they can send you a napkin. What are you going to do with that napkin? I know what you could do it, but it's probably not appropriate for this pulpit. I thank God for the apostles. And yes, I'm going to make fun of everyone that claims to be an apostle. And if you don't, you're not a true Christian. Because there were Christians in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 2, the church at Ephesus, though they had left their first love, they were still doing something that Jesus Christ loved them doing. They were trying those that said they were apostles and finding them to be imposters. And we ought to do the same. And the apostle Paul said the imposters at Corinth were servants of the devil. Remember that Roman Catholics think that all their bishops are apostles and that Peter has been conveyed to the church in the person of Pope Francis I. The Mormons have their quorum of 12 apostles. Charismatics and Pentecostals are notorious for their charlatans naming themselves apostles. At least the Roman Catholic Church has some structure and some beauty and some power, but along come these illiterate Charismatics and Pentecostals and call themselves apostles. I'm thinking of William Branham. We had a man that left this church that turned his back on the truth of the gospel that went and followed William Branham. My wife has family members in her side of the family that follow follow William Branham. You know, today you don't have to go to a library to find out about these men. You can go home and type William Branham into your Google search box and find out all you want to know about him in a few minutes. They're charlatans. The man said he was Elijah the prophet. I want to ask you, who is Elijah the prophet? John the Baptist. It wasn't William Branham. Oh Lord, thank you for the Apostle Paul. Let's get into this further. we we got to hurry here. In Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 15, excuse me, Romans chapter 15, and of the rest durst no man join them. What, what, does it bother you when you hear about anybody calling themselves an apostle? Amen. It bothers me. Yep. Why does it bother you, Pastor? Because of Acts chapter 5 and verse 13 and countless other places. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 said, Most assuredly, the signs of an apostle were wrought by me among you. There are specific things you should look for when someone says they're an apostle. And it's not jabbering up front like a baby with too much sugar in its system. When Paul said mighty signs and wonders, he was not talking about speaking in tongues. He was talking about healing the sick with napkins and handkerchiefs at a distance. He was talking about shaking off serpents. The lowest gift in the church, Paul wouldn't appeal to the lowest gift in the church. He would appeal to the mighty signs and wonders that God did by him. We are at verse 19, Romans 15, 19. With that kind of power, with that kind of an office, with that kind of grace, with the Lord Jesus Christ having personally taught him, with him trying to make up 
for all the Christians that he had persecuted and put into prison, he went and preached. So that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. When he was saved, converted, on the road to Damascus, he went into Damascus, he prayed for three days. Ananias laid hands on him, he received his sight, Ananias fed him some food because he fasted and prayed, and he was baptized. What did he do next? That day, immediately went into the synagogue in Damascus, even though he had paperwork in his hands, official paperwork from the priest's in Jerusalem, that if he found any Christians that were following that way, the way of the apostles, he was to arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem. He goes into the the synagogue in Damascus and preaches Jesus Christ. And when they tried to enclose him in the city and capture him, he was let down by a basket and he went to Jerusalem. So he starts at Jerusalem, but when he writes Galatians chapter 1 and 2, he wants you to know that when he went to Jerusalem... He did not go there to learn anything from Peter, James, and John. Jesus had already taught him in between those two events. Because he went into Arabia and came back to Damascus, then to Jerusalem. But then starting in Jerusalem, in a circuitous route, he went north into Syria, where his home church was, Antioch of Syria. And then he continued his circuitous route route into eastern Turkey, then western Turkey, Cyprus, and some of the islands that are there, and then into Asia, minor, and into the regions roundabout. And then he was called by a man saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. So he entered Europe. Praise the Lord! Any Europeans in this room? No. I don't see any hands. Are there any Europeans in this room? You know, there's a lot of Europeans in this room. Paul came into Europe. Look at Acts chapter 20. He preached in Philippi. He went to Thessalonica. Those are cities of Macedonia. The northern half of what we call Greece. The southern half was called Achaia. Or Greece in the New Testament. Down there, there was the city of Corinth. And the church at Corinth. Acts chapter 20. And after the uproar was ceased. This is in the city of Ephesus. Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go into Macedonia. This is the second time into Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts, we aren't talking about voting districts. We aren't talking about villages. We're talking about large areas of the Roman Empire. And when he had gone over those parts, and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece, meaning the southern half of Greece, what was called Achaia. But in Macedonia, he went around in those parts. And how far did he go in western Macedonia? To Illyricum. What's Illyricum? It's the western part of the Balkan Peninsula. It was Yugoslavia until they changed their name recently. It's Bosnia. It's Croatia. That's where the apostle went. Do you know that he could say in Acts chapter 19 and verse 10, I am free from the blood of all men in Asia. I have pre, every man has heard the gospel in Asia. He means Asia Minor, a province of the Roman Empire that's in Western Turkey today. Praise the Lord. And so we have here this apostle justifying himself. He shouldn't have to do it, but sometimes it's appropriate for those in power, those in authority, those in a position of leadership to justify themselves. And Paul is doing it here just to comfort the Gentiles in the church at Rome that his exhortation to them in Romans 14 about Christian liberty was justified. And you know, by the time you get done hearing this, I hope that we would say with Cornelius, my household and I are gathered here to hear whatsoever... You want to command us from God. That's the attitude we ought to have. So that from Jerusalem and roundabout, I love his words, roundabout, he went around the Mediterranean Sea, he went across the Mediterranean Sea, and he would go around in circles and cover anything and everyone because he fully preached the gospel of Christ. He says that, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, yea, he wants you to know how he preached Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, 
lest I should build upon another man's foundation. My type of ministry is different from every other minister you've had. He's telling the Romans. He told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4.15, you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you've only got one father. And he wasn't talking about God the Father. He was talking about himself because he said, for I have begotten you through the gospel. I was the one that was instrumental by God's grace through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Ghost for your conversion. And though you may end up with 10,000 teachers in this great, big, gifted church in Corinth, there's only one man that has my role in your life. I came and preached to you when you had never heard of Jesus Christ. These other men are simply taking advantage of things made ready for their hand by my labors. And he says that very plainly in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm not going to turn you there, but he says it very plainly. These preachers of yours at Corinth, all they're doing is eating the fruits of my pioneer work. Yay! I fully preach the gospel of Christ. Yay! And here's how I preached it. I strive to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. Then he quotes from Isaiah 52 and verse 15. But as it is written, this is the next, this is the verse preceding Isaiah 53, so that you can know the context. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also? Now remember, I told you when I started, down through verse 21, he is invoking his rank. He is describing his ministry. He's glorying in the things that Jesus Christ did by him to justify his reminder to the Gentiles at Rome whom he had never met in person. With me? Now we have the word also in verse 22. For which cause my ministry of going everywhere all the way to Illyricum, for which cause also, not only does it justify my position to remind you, but it also explains why I haven't been to see you yet. Oh, Paul, forget it. Come and see us next decade. Just keep preaching, brother. Do you see what he's... That's the effect it should have. But now, look what he can say. But now, having no more place in these parts. What parts? The nation of Greece. Macedonia and Achaia. He's writing from Corinth. Athens. Thessalonica. Philippi. But having no more in these parts, he'd already covered western Turkey. Because that's Asia. When he said, I'm free from the blood of all men in Asia. Now he's saying that about Macedonian Greece. And all the way to Illyricum. He has no more place to preach. See, they wouldn't spend years and years preaching in some place if people didn't want to believe it. The Lord Jesus Christ had told his apostles, you walk into a city and you preach. And if they receive you and if they believe it, then bring your blessing on that city. But if they won't hear you, then take the shoes off your feet, clap them together and drop the dust from the, the ugly place and get out of there. See, that was efficient ministry. They didn't waste their time on those that didn't want to practice godliness. They didn't waste their time on those that didn't want to obey. But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years, that'd make you feel warm and comfortable after Romans 14 to come unto you whensoever, I don't know when it'll be, but I have in my plans to make a trip to preach in Spain. You know, you'd think he had his own private jet, but he was better than that. He had the Holy Ghost with him, and the Lord Jesus Christ was working through him. Whensoever, I don't know when it'll happen, but I want to get to Spain. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you. And if you look at a map, he's in Achaia, or southern Greece. Rome's in the middle of many hundreds of miles between Greece and Spain. And he says, on my way to Spain, I'll stop and see you. And if they might have thought, well, is that all he can think is about other people and we don't mean very much to him? You know, is he just going to stop by for a night and get a snack and then go on his way? For I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you. If first, don't worry, I won't go to Spain until I be somewhat filled with your company. I'm going to hang around with you folks and you're going to refresh me and I'm going to refresh you. And now if you were to go back and read Romans chapter 1, verses 8 through 15, 
He said he wanted to come and see them, to preach the gospel to them as well, and to impart to them some spiritual gifts. And that's what gospel preachers are supposed to do, is to look for people to comfort them, but gospel preachers need comfort as well. If you were to read the last two chapters of the book of Acts, you will find Paul getting into the the bottom of the foot, the boot of Italy, and making his way up the peninsula of Italy. And the brethren from the church at Rome came as far as Appia Forum, the three taverns, to meet him. It's all described in the Bible. And when Paul saw them, he was encouraged and comforted because he was going to stand before Nero and give testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is Romans chapter 15. The things I want you to take is your life and your family an offering up to God of Gentiles acceptable. In verse 16, are you and your family obedient by the apostles' work so that you obey the gospel that's put in print for us in the New Testament scriptures? And then verse 19, don't ever let someone tell you that they're an apostle because the last apostle was our brother Paul. Amen and amen. Amen. Stand with me, please.